What's going on guys, it's Cassius here on the Second Floor Podcast. This episode is brought to you by RBC. Today's guest is Myrna Bittner. She is a member of the A100 and the founder of Run With It Synthetics from its inception seven years ago. Myrna started as a tech entrepreneur in the 90s with an internet startup for brainstorming, whiteboarding, and video conferencing called Comotion, and followed on with Neural VR, a neural net and VR visualization company financed by an Australian billionaire. Myrna is a tireless advocate for diversity in the tech industry, as well as a thought leader and speaker regarding the role of synthetic data, modeling, and intelligence in plotting a favorable path into the future for our utilities and our cities. Myrna brings her strategic vision and strong cash management to bear in plotting the strategic course of Run With It, as well as guide the day-to-day business and business development. I'm super excited to have a collaborative chat with RBC's very own Josh Duarte from U of A's RBC on campus. So without further ado guys, here we go. Second Floor Podcast helps you survive, thrive, and keep the good vibes going, personal life and in business. Hi, welcome back guys. My name is Joshua Duarte, Assistant Branch Manager at RBC on campus. And today's content will align a lot with our personal uh, mission in the community, which is to increase financial literacy, professional development, as well as student wellness. Welcome everyone back to the Second Floor Podcast. My name is Cassius. I have Josh with me from RBC on campus. Uh, we're super excited to have Myrna uh, on the show today. Welcome, Myrna. Hi. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here and, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're super excited to kind of get into your story and kind of dive deep into, into your company and, and yourself. So um, kind of getting into it, kind of on a on a nice kind of icebreaker start um, you know maybe just give a little bit of what you do and uh, what your company does okay so uh, my company is called run with it synthetics um, and what we do is really create uh, living future labs so uh, our living future labs we call single synthetic environments or synthetic twins or synthetic intelligence environments they often morph into uh, synthetic cities even, or synthetic manufacturing floors. But really what they are is um, accurate geospatial uh, models of, of our customers or our clients' um, worlds, whether that's a city or, or a plant. And, uh, and then we populate these models with all kinds of other models. So our models can be um, people, they can be weather, they can be equipment, um, they can be processes, uh, and, and, and then we get to create scenarios and events, um, disasters, sometimes uh, 
even trial and implement new technologies in these environments. So they're really um, kind of these plastic um, digital worlds that people use when they're making uh, really critical um, high value decisions around uh, policy, around preparedness, um, trying to mitigate risk in the future, which is uh, really volatile. And, uh, and they really want some way of comparing and, and quantifying that impact for their decision support. Wow, that's that's amazing. I'm I'm curious how did how did it all start for you? Like, how did you get into into this space? Uh, that's a very long story. <laughs> I don't really have time for it today, but um, it did start with uh, with technology ventures um, early in my career in the in the '90s, and uh, and a profound interest in uh, artificial intelligence as well as um, real time or or live environments. And, uh, and then being in and out of the technology world over the, the ensuing years and really watching as it uh, kind of spiraled in, in complexity. So the amount of interconnected systems, the scale of some of these systems uh, was really kind of reaching its capacity. And, uh, and there were some, some significant failures in these uh, amazing systems that were designed and built. And a lot of the failures were around uh, reality. So when these systems hit reality, um, uh, they would encounter all different kinds of problems. And, uh, and it was massive, sometimes uh, financial um, safety uh, kind of systems and, and risk. So we thought, well, uh, if we used all of the tools that we had in hand in terms of an automation platform and artificial intelligence uh, background, we could create a reality around very complex systems and bring them to life and figure this out before it happened in reality. And pretty fairly early on, we found that a lot of the reality these systems were encountering were things that were not included in the design or engineering process to the extent they needed to be, which is people. <laughs> and, uh, and the dynamics of interconnected systems, the dynamics of weather and the environment and, uh, and then it was all of these factors together and that created really strange kind of emergent behavior, ripple effects or impacts that nobody could um, uh, come to understand ahead of time. And that, uh, in effect, we were creating the future. <laughs> and this is where, when we started doing adding geospatial environments to uh, our, our toolkit uh, when we were working in, in vehicle device-based systems, that people started looking at us and saying, well, you could create a city then, right? And, uh, and that's kind of how we ended up where we are today, which is being able to create um, even city-scale uh, futures for people. Wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. I, I, mean, I mean, these models must have a ton of factors, like you said, and, and, and some of them are probably a lot difficult, pretty difficult to kind of, I guess, predict. Um, how, how much is the human element Play a play a play a par portion in these in these models that you guys create. Uh, surprisingly, more and more uh, of an impact. So, um, this the, the last two uh, large environments that we're working on. Uh, one was for the Electric Power and Research Institute. Um, they uh, asked us in particular to address resilience. And uh, there's a huge initiative in energy grids uh, now to begin to figure out how to calculate the investment that they should be placing in resilience technologies. And resilience meaning 
when the power goes out, um, what investments that have they made that uh, that minimize the impact or um, the outcomes for people during uh, that outage? And and this is really challenging for them. Climate change, the fires in in California and Australia, um, hurricanes, um, earthquakes. These are all become really really important investments, and yet it's difficult to quantify because. They all involve uh, extraordinary human impact. That is what happens when the lights go out, is uh, the impact is, is on people. And, uh, and resilience is how quickly can we help these people through that situation and help them recover. And, uh, and, and so the human impact is, is everything there. In fact, um, the, one of the biggest models that we've done uh, involves COVID-19 and modeling how COVID-19 uh, affects people and their resilience capacity uh, during outages. So um, this is everything from how does it affect the trust in the utility companies depending on the effectiveness of the utility communications during the outage. How does it affect uh, people's forward-looking energy plans now that they're working from home? So if there's movement and control orders um, and my power goes out, that really affects my uh, ability to be productive. And, uh, and that may change my relationship uh, going forward with my power company or my how I value reliability of power. Um, so really kind of psychosocial uh, effects as well as, you know, the, the health effects. So the real profound vulnerable populations, how do we identify them? Uh, how do we help the utilities uh, understand how that changes what areas they need to um, repair uh, sooner? So their, their priorities for repair. Um, to maintenance crews, how do we reshift them um, during COVID? So it it's really becomes all about the people. And the same with the mobility environments that we're doing and how people um, interface with the, the machine of policy, the machine of infrastructure, the machine of their, their environment and their world. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that it probably, I mean, it probably takes everything because these models continuously have to change based on the environment and, and society, right? So you guys are probably constantly adding certain factors and and constantly trying to think ahead of uh of what's what's going on right yeah i describe it as we're like a research vacuum <laughs> so we just um uh look all over for any kind of source of, of research uh research data consumer surveys um, publicly available uh data through taxation value of homes income demographics um, you name it, um, we include it. Even we include other models um, uh, developed by other agencies. Yeah, and how much does the, you know, I guess, you know, previous analytics and da data play into this? Because obviously, you know, n you know, nobody could have predicted, you know, how the pandemic um, kind of has gone and, and affected everybody. So how much do you use? That's arguable, by the way. Right. <laughs> But how much does, yeah. how much do you use previous data to help with these with these models that you create, and how much do you use predictive, I guess, analysis to in, in, incorporate all of that? So we use as much previous data as as is relevant. Um, a lot of these scenarios are um, they haven't happened yet, and so there isn't data, and that's. 
when you mention um, prediction, that's one of the, the things that we um, try not to do um, because uh, it, it's, there's, a, there's a, a necessity when you're doing predictive systems for you to train uh, solely off of historical um, data and available data. And so we're asked to step into that, that future kind of void where there isn't uh, data. And, uh, and there definitely isn't data for the scenarios that we're putting together. There was no data for, for COVID. But there, when you begin building these entity models uh, and you can synthesize data and you can hyper-localize um, research from, from previous um, studies, you begin to create models that then create data. So our synthetics actually tell us um, what they're experiencing under any number of conditions. We don't know which conditions are going to appear and, and how, but, uh, but we can make all of those scenarios uh, appear and understand um, how that then will affect the, the, the people who are there in those scenarios. And have we built the right systems? Have we built the right infrastructure? Um, and, and ask all those what-if questions. What if we changed this? What if we made this better? What if we moved this road? What if we widened this bridge? What if we put pedestrian paths in? What if everybody had worn masks back in March? So um, we actually uh, did a COVID um, modeling exercise in our synthetic environment for ourselves uh, as a company and published some of the results um, because there was information uh, even back in March, about aerosolized transmission of the virus. And so we created um, a daily commute in Edmonton and how people would be uh, in proximity on sidewalks and congested points as they made their way to work and public transit and uh, measured uh, varying uh, degrees of mask effectiveness in a population and compliance rates and then how that would change the outcome uh, and, and disease transmission and risk. So um, there are models uh, and modeling frameworks like ours that are sophisticated enough to, um, to actually have known uh, what would happen, and especially the effectiveness of public policy in that environment. Wow, that's amazing. Josh, do you want to? I love the information you're passing on because it's so relevant, especially when we're thinking about the new technology um, that is coming out not even coming out, but continuously being developed. Uh, I speak to a lot of students here at RBC on campus at the University of Alberta, and a lot of them ask for, what can we do now to better prepare ourselves for the future of work? Uh, there's lots of soft skills that can be trained. Um, they will be learning a lot of hard skills through their education as well. With your experience, um, having gone to University of Alberta yourself, what advice would you give students uh, in ways that they can create meaningful skills during this time to prepare them for this world that continually becomes more digitally enabled? Um, I would say always look forward. So and and understand that any problem is solvable. So uh, for me. Um, I started at the U of A. I was uh, I had my arts degree was my my undergrad degree in English and sociology, and uh, to me that has always made me uh, fascinated with people, 
and uh, and I've utilized that that kind of uh, communication skill. Um, I've maximized it over my career, um, but mostly um, realized that you know there's there's a long road ahead. You're never going to be able to say, "Yep, I learned that skill and that's it. I'm done." <laughs> that um, everything is kind of additive, and uh, and that your careers are going to be long, and uh, understanding how you develop. And, and explore uh, curiosity and passion and um, and uh, and learning is going to be uh, some of the biggest skills that you can take forward. Um, looking at things from different perspectives. So um, whether uh, you look at the world and say everybody in the world that I'm working with is my client, <laughs> and uh, what would that mean to me tomorrow in terms of how I would dig in or what I would, how I would um, produce uh, results or assignments or um, uh, how I would treat my interview. Uh, all of these things I think will do them, do them very well uh, because we don't hire really for hard skills at our company. Thank you very much for that. I think a lot of the students that watch this will also find a lot of value in the words that you just shared with us. I used to tell everybody in my arts degree when they said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And there's a lot of pressure with, you know, what are you going to do? And do you have the skills to do what you're going to do? And I just used to tell everybody I was going to work at a bank. <laughs> and this is ironic, uh, talking to the RBC group. But uh, um, it, everybody would go, oh, okay, it was really quite understandable. And really, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, when I took uh, my MBA immediately following my undergrad degree, things became a little bit clearer about um, about how business was really uh, in everything and everywhere, and uh, and how I might be able to uh, kind of apply my skills more practically. And then between year one and year two, I ended up starting a technology company. So how does that happen? You know, um, curiosity, uh, willingness to learn. Um, and, uh, and, a, and a passion for something that I thought was really important at the time to solve. That's amazing. Um, we're going to kind of take a different shift, and this is going to kind of be a different question that I wanted to ask you. Um, if you had infinite amount of money, or if you had $100 million in the bank right now, um, where would you allocate um, that money? Where, where would you allocate it in the health and tech space? In a, in a health space, I think there's, there's two areas. I think um, one is just the, the world needs better modeling. We need to become better at understanding in a very scientific way our futures. Um, that it's not just a matter of, you know, of dichotomies between economics and health or or socialism and capitalism that really we we are and our society is and our humanity is a very interconnected system interconnected with our environment our, our infrastructure our our quality of life and sustainability so i think i would be spending that hundred million dollars on on hiring as many amazingly talented people as as i could um young curious enthusiastic people who uh, want to kind of tackle uh, exposing and and uh, and shedding more insight into the future and the choices that we're making now, and what that means. 
and use that as kind of a way to be able to measure um, uh, public policy, um, our, our infrastructure spends, our uh, ways of looking at our environment and our future, and, uh, and the economic choices that we're making. Um, and one of my biggest passions in that area is um, climate change is happening and uh, there's going to be the need to, uh, to figure out how to migrate people, how to migrate people and economies and, uh, and cities and, and people's productivity and build new infrastructure very quickly. Um, that there is going to be mass migrations. And so we just need to figure out how we are going to um, and what systems need to be in place and ready and when those triggers will start happening so we don't get left behind again uh, in, in trying to figure out um, the new normal because there, there's um, never going to be an old normal, I think. You mentioned a lot of critical things when you said, you know, if I had a hundred million dollars, this is where I would allocate it. And you even said, you know, I'd hire a lot of individuals with some skill sets that you mentioned, communication, creativity, curiosity. When you think a little bit about um, your experience during university, did you join any um, clubs or student associations where you found that you learned a lot of important skills that would be applicable uh, at your starting of career or even where you are today? Um, I did, mostly uh, in my graduate degree, so mostly when I was in the MBA program. I was um, uh, the Vice President of, of Public Relations and Communications for the MBA program. Um, and that was really fascinating. I got to learn a lot about um, uh, producing those kinds of, of communications within the faculty and within the student body. Um, also, the uh, Volunteer Action Network, so it was a, a new part of the MBA program put together by a group of students where we went out and made a difference uh, with a whole variety of agencies over the course of the year um, who were struggling with wait lists like boys and girls clubs, uh, who were struggling with, um, you know, uh, capacity of volunteers, so with food bank. Um, things like that, and I think that really made us feel um, connected uh, in the community, and that's something that I've that I've never lost. And uh, and and those I think would have been the two. The, we the, we also had a um, uh, at the time in the MBA program a management consulting uh, firm that we that we started, and uh, and we did some really um, kind of foundational uh, research uh, projects for local startups. Um, which was really interesting because we got a chance to get involved in in their businesses and, and their concerns and and uh, learned a lot about delivering to clients expectations and um, and navigating through their worlds which were all very different and so it was great exposure to um, the wonderful world of variety in business thank you very much for sharing that I think that's that's really great information especially when students are willing and able to volunteer, but I'm not sure how that volunteer experience or even the student club experience can be useful moving for, forward in their careers. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you share, Myrna, like uh, maybe a personal story of uh, when you had to take a really big risk uh, in your career? That could be currently or sometime in the past. Is there, is there a story uh, that you can share um, with our audience? Our audience is 
um, you know, uh, youth in their, you know, in their mid mid twenties who are looking looking for some answers, and and uh, a lot of us are trying to take, uh, you know, some some risks, and some aren't trying to take risks, and um, so maybe from your experience, is there a time where you had to take a really really big risk? I think almost all of my steps in my career were really big risks, but maybe at the time, like it's easier to look back and go, really, I did that? Um, it's uh, At the time, it was just like, this is in front of me. This is something I, I really want to do. Um, I'm really passionate about it. I think I can do very well. Um, and so I've, I've, um, I can't think of like uh, at the time being uh, concerned about whether or not it was a risk. I've just always kind of plunged in head first. <laughs> and um, I think probably the first and biggest risk was me starting a company between year one and year two in the MBA program. Um, but at the time, I was young and, and super energetic and didn't think I had a, a history or um, not a history, didn't think I had a propensity for working in a, in a large bureaucratic organization. And I thought there was a lot of things. The internet was a year old and there was just a massive opportunity to uh, promote productive real-time remote communication uh, over the internet, which I thought could be useful in just about any industry. And so wasn't really clear on the risk I was taking, <laughs> just took it um, and we ended up uh, having to package uh, and box the first kind of uh, software in the groupware category and sell it across North America from a basement of a house out by Elk Island National Park. Um, we had to participate in the whole wholesale and dial purchase advertising agreements across North America. There was no tech ecosystem. There was no real VC. At, at the time, and uh, but there was nobody saying that you can't do it or that's risky or we we just figured out how to do it. Um, there are other times in my career I had to actually step away from that business um, even after we were doing very well and sold to Nassau Mission Operations and U.S. West. Um, I had to step away because um, because I, my son was born at 25 weeks. And there was all of a sudden there was a life and death, and and that went on for months, and that was a, a pretty big risk, I would say, was making that decision that um, that my priorities had dramatically changed overnight, and I had to step away, and, and that there would be time for me to step back. That life is long, um, and uh, and so that was a risk, um, and, and then I was able to step back, and and step in again. So sometimes the biggest risks are are um, when priorities shift and and when you have to make really um, profound life decisions. Um, but just even knowing that uh, that that is just a, a time in life and um, and that there are opportunities uh, again that it's not like once you step away from your career that it's over. Yeah. And and kind of taking a taking the opposite turn. Um, you know, what's one of the one of, one of the biggest accomplishments in your career or the greatest or one of the greatest accomplishments uh, in your career? Um, I'm still here. <laughs> so I guess that's, to me, that's an accomplishment every day. Um, 
uh, but uh, all kidding aside, uh, recently um, uh, winning the Incubate Energy Labs Challenge for the Electric Power and Research Institute from a field of international um, contestants was huge for us. Um, and, uh, and given that it's kind of our first foray into uh, synthetic energy grids and, uh, and electrification and everything, that was like hitting you know, hitting your first ball and, uh, and hitting a home run in a major league game. Um, it was, it was uh, kind of beyond belief for us. And, uh, and then as a very quick succession to that, um, now we're involved in the city architecture of tomorrow um, challenge with the Toyota Mobility Foundation in Malaysia. So those two things have happened um, during the pandemic. And, uh, and so um, just massive um, kind of global uh, recognition of, of what we do as a company and, uh, and couldn't, be, um, couldn't be happier. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Um, when you were a student early on, did you ever picture yourself as a CEO of a company? <laughs> I, still, I still don't picture myself as a CEO. <laughs> so, no. Um, no, I, in fact, it was like a CEO, why do you really need one in my first company? It was kind of like, we were just all here working really hard and, and trying to pull something off. Um, and, uh, and no, in this company, it's just kind of like somebody has to do it. And, uh, and it's like, okay, um, you know, I've, I, I can write a lot. I can talk a lot. Um, I guess, it, I guess it'll be me. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Thankfully, um, most of them are alive, but right now it would have to be my family. Um, and, and all of them, and, uh, and my in-laws, and my outlaws, and because and, uh, it's just, um, it's been really challenging not being able to um, be with everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that, to me, it would be my my biggest wish now is something really quite humble family friends we used to have big potlucks here in the summer and go on a canoe race around around a big lake that's nearby and uh and those kinds of things would just be just mean the world to me yeah yeah no i i feel the same way did you want to ask anything i do i do and myrna with that question that you just answered right now um was there a time in your life that you felt that collaborating with others would have helped you develop faster in your personal life? Or have you spent some time building mentorships that would help you in your personal life or in your career as well? So mentorships was really not a thing when I was younger and in university and, and in business, um, you know, at least not for me, um, especially not being, a, being an entrepreneur and, and maybe uh, being a woman entrepreneur um, and being in the tech sector. Uh, that was really kind of a, uh, I guess I was an outlier. Um, recently, though, uh, I have tried to avail myself of as many mentors as I, as I can and found some amazing uh, peers in the local community as well as uh, internationally who uh, who I've just learned so much from because there's 
that's one thing that you learn um, the farther you get along in your career is how much you still don't know and how much you need to know. And, and I have no issues asking for help. <laughs> and uh, um, I also was welcomed into the A100 um, group. And the A100 is a local group of, of kind of top level um, entrepreneurs who have been in the tech sector for quite some time. And, uh, and so as I am learning about, about the value of mentors, I am now able to uh, mentor others as a part of the A100. And that's one of our, our really kind of um, uh, fundamental uh, characteristics of, of what we do as the A100 is to extend that offer of mentorship. Um, and, uh, and kind of a part of that too is, is belonging to the rainforest community here in Edmonton which is an open group. Anybody can join. And part of their social contract is somebody helps you for an hour and you help somebody else for two, which I think is a, is kind of a foundational way of tapping into all of the expertise and accumulated kind of the knowledge and expertise that's in our local community. And, uh, and that you just have to find a way to, to access. Last question, Myrna, we, we kind of leave, um, we leave the last question to, to you, um, to our featured guest. Um, it could be a question, it could be a piece of advice. Is there anything you wanna leave our audience? Um, you know, and our audience, like I said, are uh, uh, guys and girls in their 20s looking to elevate in their life, their career, um, their business. Uh, is there anything that you wanna leave them off? Could be a question, could be a piece of advice. Um, I think when I, when I look at, um and, and I can't speak for how anybody else kind of arrives at their career. Um, so uh, I, I always admired people, I guess, who were really um, uh, determined and, and understood their path. And uh, I know there was a group in the MBA program, they were all going to become chartered accountants. And I used to, uh, or a financial advisor, or and I used to look at them and think, you know, that, that must be just so amazing, um, you know, to, to grow up and have this idea about, you know, um, what you are going to be and how you're going to become. And, and my sister became a pharmacist and that all seemed very clear and their path forward seemed very clear. And, and I never had that clarity. And, uh, and, and now I'm kind of glad. <laughs> Um, and so I just wanted to say for all those other people out there who are like, what am I going to do? Um, who am I going to be? It's, it's really, um, it, it's, it's okay. And I'm speaking at, you know, after being, you know, in the, in the industry and in a variety of industries and, and positions and, and shifts and changes, um, it's okay not to have that kind of clarity. And, uh, and it's okay to be able to look for opportunities and, uh, and try things and uh, say yes to things and, um, and really kind of pour yourself into them and figure out uh, what it is you can learn from any opportunity. And, uh, and I have uh, done all kinds of things in my career. <laughs> One of the things that when I was uh, at home with both kids was to uh, take a job with a equine uh, clinic that started up down the road from my home. Um, I took my horses there and realized that they were just in desperate need of, of help, any help. And so um, I had some, some part-time hours that I could spend at a place and I thought this would be really neat. And uh, so I said to them, I'll do anything. I'll file, I'll answer phones, I'll 
shovel stalls, <laughs> sweep floors. Um, how can I help? You guys look like you need a lot of help. And that was a starting place for an amazing um, relationship that ended up, I ended up managing a uh, equine surgical facility as they grew and built facility um, and, uh, and became part of a really uh, amazing uh, team and an experience that I never imagined uh, in, in a million years about uh, organizing financing and, uh, and managing you know, um, a, whole, uh, a whole team there. So it, it's just things like that where um, people shouldn't be afraid when, when the road ahead isn't clear. Um, there's still roads and there's still uh, paths that you can take and things you can say yes to. And uh, there's some of the most amazing learning opportunities uh, if, if you make them so. You've mentioned a lot of things that I think kind of touches on one final question that I have personally. It's so important to have a certain mental state that you're able to take on challenging circumstances even though you might not have the vision to do so. And I think that has a positive aspect to your mental wellness. Um, is there any other activities or behaviors that you do to be able to build that that mental strength that helps you take on challenge after challenge. A lot of our young adults um, are questioning what can we do to stay focused and not uh, and stay healthy at a time when so much is uncertain. That that is a really um, uh, kind of profound, I think, area uh, that that everybody is going to have to um, learn to get better. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and to accommodate into their daily routines. Um, I live a rather quiet life. I have lots of, of animal friends, um, chickens and horses. Um, I exercise a lot. I spend as much time uh, outside as possible. That's kind of my peaceful place, um, is, uh, is, is being outside in the quiet I know I've had people say, you know, what's your favorite restaurant? And it's like, I don't really go to restaurants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's just that's, that's my uh, peaceful place is, is to spend time outside so, and, and to exercise and to stay healthy. And I'm not sure, you know, as that is the, the best advice for everybody, but it's, it's easy for me. So it's, it's accessible uh, for me. It fits into my day. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, um, people need to find those things that are, that are easy and, and, um, for them to do and to accommodate and, uh, that they're excited about, about doing. Thank you. So what, Myrna, what does it mean to be, uh, on the second floor? I think for me being on the second floor means that you, uh, have a lot of steps behind you and. Uh, and many more are left to go because there's you're just on the second floor. Um, so in in one sense, um, uh, you've had a chance to do a bit of exercise and uh, and you're ready for the next challenges. And that's kind of uh, what I think life is all about is always uh, looking at the next flight of stairs. Oh, I love it. I love the analogy. Thank you so much. <laughs>